Today on IFS Talks, we are so happy to welcome Mona Barbera. Mona is a psychologist with over 35 years of experience, specializing in couples therapy, couples workshops, and in training psychotherapists. Her book, Bring Yourself to Love, How Couples Can Turn Disconnection into Intimacy, is the winner of the prestigious 2009 Benjamin Franklin Award in Psychology. Mona has also written for many academic journals. She was chair of the program committee and board member of the New England Society for the Study and Treatment of Trauma and Dissociative Disorders. Currently, she's an assistant trainer for internal family systems therapy through the IFS Institute, and she lives and has a private practice in Rhode Island. Mona, thank you so much for being with us today and being willing to speak with us on IFS Talks. You're welcome, and it's a pleasure to see you again. Thanks much, Mona, for joining us. What parts come up for you today, hearing your bio? Uh, I was remembering when I uh, won the, that Benjamin Franklin Award. It was such a shock. I was actually at the award ceremony, and my husband was there, and I was completely and utterly shocked that I won it. It was really a very happy moment. Uh, and it makes me remember how much time and effort I put into that book, both the content of it and the production value as well. Wonderful. Your book, just on a personal note, was my introduction to IFS. It was the first thing that I had come across. And what an incredible book it is. What a, a great contribution. Thank you. you know, I realized I didn't really answer Anibal's question uh, because I wasn't expecting it for you to ask me about my parts right away. Um, and I'm, I'm still not ready, but I will be open to such a question probably fairly soon. Mona, can you tell us a little bit about your journey as a psychotherapist? What would you like to share? Well, uh, I, I was choosing between acting and psychotherapy in my young life. Mm. And I was in uh, acting groups in Chicago, and then I was in Hollywood. And I had the great fortune to have a wonderful acting teacher whose husband happened to be the person who brought psychosynthesis to this country. Yeah. And I realized in my acting class that what I really loved about acting was what the audience was going through while they were listening to the, uh, and seeing the performance. And I realized what I really wanted to do was to be sitting with those people while they were going through changes and that I didn't really have the uh, look at me uh, feeling that mm -hmm. a really a good actor really needs to have, yes. has to love yes. being looked at. Mm -hmm. So I made the shift to psychotherapy uh, from acting then. And uh, I'm glad I did. I think I would have had a more social life if I had been an actress. <laughs> I would have developed you know, other things. Yes. Besides, as you say, it's a long time to be doing one thing. Uh, but I don't think I would have had the, the joy of just flying with people's journeys and especially with IFS to be able to 
accompany them on their journeys of the heart and soul. Where, where in your journey did you encounter IFS? And, and well, it was um, 1999, so it was after interpersonal analytic, which was at my PhD program, and it was after EMDR, and it was after uh, a lot of focus on trauma, trauma-related therapies. Uh, so 1999, it was the third training in, uh, given in Connecticut. Before that, all the trainings were in either Chicago or, or elsewhere, but that was the third one on the East Coast, third of many now. So you took the training and, and were hooked or it connected with you? Yeah, I was. It immediately, it was disturbing, uh, at first, uh, I got a sense of the spaciousness of the approach, and it was at first a little bit disturbing to my um, normal point of view. But I, I soon realized that that disturbance was a good one, and I wanted to continue being disturbed in that way. <laughs> Mona, your book, Bring Yourself to Love, How Couples Can Turn Disconnection into Intimacy, received some remarkable awards right at the beginning of its journey. How is the book doing since then? guess it's on its third edition in 2020, right? Yeah, the Kindle edition just came out. It's still selling steady. They call it an evergreen in the publishing business. But even after all these years, 2008, it, it still, still sells steadily. And uh, when you wrote this book, Mon, in 2008, months after Dick Schwartz published You Are the One You Are Waiting For, Tony Bainblank's IFIO, Intimacy from the Inside Out, wasn't yet out there, right? Right. So does your IFS approach to couples differentiate in any way from Tony's IFIO approach? Um. I'm not really sure because in the beginning I, you know, I talked to Tony and uh, about what she was doing and we decided that I wasn't going to take her training because we kind of grew up together. She was in my level one in 1999 and we actually had the same couples therapy teacher before IFS. On Imagos. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Imagos, on Shulkin. So I, I only know about the IFIO from what I, in people I've, consulted with who've taken it um so i i don't really understand the um what do they call it the tracking cycles mm -hmm. i don't really understand that but and i think in all other respects we're exactly the same in that i think we believe that usually couples are going to need to get to the level of exiles mm -hmm to open up options for their relationship to change. And that it really is only requires one person to change for something to open up, be it a better relationship or in the sad event of a, a separation of really, um, you could say self-led separation or a separation that's going to bring as much peace as possible. That's very good news. You need yeah. only one. Yeah. Couples fight a lot, and that is something we all know. They couples they really need help with. 
in one of your chapters called The Three Things That Work in a Fight, you speak of ways to win a fight. What are those ways? Can you say more? Yeah. You know, the first person who said ways to win a fight, and of course, you know, there's no way to win a fight. Yes, I know. <laughs> the only way to really win a fight is to destroy the other person. And unfortunately, that's not usually the goal in a love relationship to destroy the other person because even though some parts might want to do that, people want closeness and connection and, and not win. Yeah. Not winning. So, in a fight, what's usually happening. And I, I'm not uh, here. I have to make it clear. I'm not talking about situations of abuse where there's physical abuse. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, the special word for it in couples is not coming to me right now. But when one person is battering the other, uh, or emotional abuse, or any kind of um, domestic violence or whatever. Mm -hmm. Domestic violence, right? I'm not talking about that. That's a whole other subject. But in a fight in which there isn't abuse. What usually has happened is that protectors on both sides have become mobilized because they feel that there's some danger to the person. And once they become mobilized, their attitude is to look for threat. So there's very little that can be said that will not sound like a threat. Mm -hmm. if, you know, normal things that in a normal calm time would be fine mm -hmm. are not finding a threat so like explaining will work other times but not in a fight giving an example and maybe showing how you do something won't work uh, teaching won't work um, of course arguing won't work because all of that will be interpreted by the protectors as another incoming threat absolutely Yeah. So there really is just one thing that works, and I've found three ways to talk about it. But the one thing that works is to speak only about yourself in a way that gives no ammunition to the protectors whatsoever. Okay, and what is that way? So I talk about it in three ways, but... Uh, perhaps the easiest one to begin with is the one where I call 100% uh, responsibility, where you find something in your own behavior that you can take 100% responsibility for in contributing to the problem. Okay. And sometimes it might be very hard to look for that because we often feel like we're innocent. But if we can find one small thing and just simply say, I did that, mm -hmm. period, with no because you made me or because I'm so fed up or because I was in so much pain, but just simply saying, I did that, which is basically the truth. We just do things. And not try to justify or else, yes. It has to be pretty much zero of the justifying because the Protectors have very good uh, hearing. <laughs> yes. They do. They do. <laughs> And as you should have very good hearing if you're protecting children, which is what they're doing. Protecting the exiles. Yeah, you want to hear if a child is in danger, so you listen very carefully. And so you say, 
admit, stop and do over. Can you say more about this? Okay, so the do over is another way to do it. It's it's the same principle where you're still just talking about yourself mm -hmm. with no reference at all to the other person's behavior. And this the do over is uh, is asking and possibly receiving permission to set up a point in time uh, when the argument was beginning and to receive, hopefully receive permission to just simply do it over, implying that I did something that I really could have done better. That's the implication. And then if you get the permission, you roll it back to that time and you ask the person if they remember that time. And then you say, well, remember when um, I was looking out the window and I just, I shrugged my shoulders and rolled my eyes and I just went, I don't know if this is worth it. Do you remember that time? Well, I'd like to do that over. And then you say, well, what I really wish I'd said then was, you know, I, I'm very, I'm completely committed to this relationship and I know I love you. Mm -hmm. I've never questioned that. Uh, and right now I'm just feeling um, very sad and tired. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's when self comes on board. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Self will allow us to speak of our vulnerabilities and feel safe because self knows that the open, cracked heart is the stronger heart. Mm. Love that. Anna, you also say you, we need to learn how to give better back. What is this? Yeah, so that's the third way. Uh, and it's also a much larger uh, topic. It's another way of saying have more self-energy. But in the middle of a fight, I find we, I, need something very fast because fights and protectors are so fast in their activities and the momentum builds so quickly that to me it's easier to think, okay, I need to give better back than to think I need self-energy. What does that mean? How can I get it? What parts in the way? So to say, okay, I want to give better back. Uh, what is it that I'm getting? Okay, I'm getting criticism. Uh, of course, I can give criticism back or I can give coldness back, but What's better than criticism? What, what is it that I, I would like instead of criticism? I would just like to be listened to. So then there you have it. That's what you give. Just give listening. Yeah. yeah. Before you've gotten it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you see what happens. In, in a viable relationship, the, person is, the other person is going to respond in some way at some point, probably not right away, but fairly soon that is touching and reconnecting. Probably not the perfect way that we wished for, that I'm not gonna say the apology that we dreamt of, mm -hmm. or do exactly the kind of thing we wanted, but something, there'll be some offer of connection or kindness. And uh, we'll see if that, if that works for us. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. What do you recommend to your clients or to couples when they have a really hard time accessing that place of giving better back or or knowing that that's what they want to do in a challenge because they're so consumed by an intense feeling or an intense emotion or anger? Yeah, so that's pretty much always <laughs> the situation for me, for my clients, I think for all of us. Yeah, and what I I do is I I don't really go too much through the head at that point because um, occasionally that'll work some kind of understanding, but mostly it has to be a a felt experience. So what I do is I would I would just ask them what they're experiencing. I would start right from where they are, and well, I'm just so angry. I'm just so, and I would I would invite them just to stay with that anger. Because that's a part that needs to be recognized and validated. And once it is, the, the way will be open to, like we said in the beginning, to get to the exile level, which is usually where a partner needs to go to open up a different response to that terrible hurt feeling from a partner. So we do it very experientially. We start from where people are. You're angry? Okay, let's feel that anger. And uh, what does it feel like? Where is it? And you might even say, what's it saying to you? You're not safe. You're not safe. You're not safe. You have to fight. So it's say, okay, would you be willing to just to listen to that? Can you listen to that with interest in that? You know, that that might be true to this part of you? And would you listen until you understand that? And then pretty soon we'll be into the reason for the lack of safety, which is, uh, unless it's an abusive situation, will never be about the, the partner. Mona, this possibly connects with another topic you somehow explain in your book, Choosing the Challenge. You say, and I'm going to quote you, actively choosing your partner over time means choosing to meet the particular challenges he or she brings you And being able to say to yourself, I didn't know these challenges would be here when I began this relationship, but here they are. This is interesting. If I stay with you, I learn to be more generous, assertive, clear, compassionate, adventurous, etc. These are the things I need to learn anyway. So this is a difficult transition for anyone, right? When romance ends and challenges begins, as you say, to accept that the person who was doing our life so easy and enjoyable now turned into a challenge. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say more about choosing the challenge? It opens up a lot uh, when we can do that. Uh, to me, it's, it's a pretty um, important thing for my own life and I, according to my beliefs for all of life. And I, I know other people have different beliefs, but I believe that I'm here to grow mm-hmm. to work out my uh, my faults yes and to become a better person and a better servant of humanity and I think that the partner will often bring those challenges us in the most to us in the most powerful way and if I can be aware of that that it's really my challenge, If I choose it, if I think it's a good challenge for me, 
to deal with distance, to deal with unfairness, to deal with somebody who's not making uh, a productive path in life, to some with somebody who's maybe sick a lot, with somebody who's disciplined, with somebody who's too too picky about the way things should be, somebody who's not picky enough about how the house is. If I can choose that as my challenge, I'm free of having to judge the other person. And not only can I speak more clearly about what I'm feeling and thinking and more powerfully without that judgment, I also, I get to grow in that direction. And it would be a different direction with a different person. I really don't believe that we get the same challenges or the same experience with every partner. Of course. But if I choose one particular partner, I'm really choosing to loop around or spiral around, spiral around the same situation many, many times and see who I can be. Mm, it's when you say who you choose is how you grow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like an amoeba, you one pseudopod will go out more in a direction uh, and others will just stay where they are. Yeah. It shapes, shapes you as a person who you choose. And you speak of the three main relationship challenges and how to meet them. Can you say more? Oh, well, it might be that some relationships are more firefighter-driven, some are more managerial, Oh yes, and some are more of that soft exile kind of feeling. So in the firefighter relationships, I, I don't see very many of those people because they're out having fun, you know, or crashing <laughs> their motorcycles yes. or, you know, having to deal with the, uh, the sequelae of their uh, exciting lifestyles. Uh, but with the managerial relationships, that challenges boredom and lack of uh, vitality or closeness. But yeah, I think the mortgage is getting paid and the house is clean and the kids get where they need to get. But there's just no juice. It's like we're like roommates. Yes, another challenge. So that's a very interesting challenge to go inside and see, why did I choose that? Did I choose that because I'm so afraid of being left that I chose a really, really safe person? Oh, yes. Or I'm so insecure about whether I'm lovable that I, you know, again, I chose somebody that would never leave me. Yeah. And then the, the exile relationships are usually the ones that have the closest moments, but the most fiery disruptions. Because that's when there's this really a knowing of each other's deepest vulnerabilities and a, and a wish to meet and be met at that level. And it hurts so much when that goes badly. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you say different parts choose different partners. Yeah, right. Yeah, different blends. Yes. But there's always a way forward if we look at our own parts. Mm -hmm. And the way forward is not always staying together, but I believe that when there's that self-energy there, you can make a choice that will bring you peace either way. And they don't have to ruminate it. If you leave someone, you don't have to ruminate on it afterward, and you don't have to be burdened by judgment of the other person. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mona, you also say, if it's intense, it's your home. And you say, when you feel intense hurt in your relationship, it's easy to think that your partner is causing it. 
He or she does or says something and you immediately feel hurt. It's obvious that his or her actions are the problem. Your partner should change so you can feel better. But mm -hmm. the truth about the pain is just the opposite. As I like to tell my clients, if it's intense, it's your home. So can you say more on this, Mona? If it's intense, it's your home. Yeah. So if, if you're moderately upset, that's the time to speak with confidence and clarity and courage and compassion and connection to your partner. But if you're intensely upset, it's time to look at yourself because that's going to be a protector and that protector is going to be protecting an exile. So if you're, if you're intensely angry, you're not going to be powerful uh, in your communication because all intense anger does is elicit the other person's protectors, which is either going to be a cold dismissal mm -hmm. or withdrawal or mm -hmm. a fighting back mm -hmm. or perhaps a fake, um, a fake agreeing, which then will turn into something else later like resentment or uh, devious behavior. <laughs> so that's a freedom to think, um, if it's intense, let me look at myself. There's an example I give in the book about somebody riding in a car The woman was intensely upset by her husband's driving and feeling very unsafe. And they were going on a trip that they were had planned for so long uh, and were ready to enjoy. And here she was so upset by his driving and she knew exactly what, what was going to happen if she spoke from that. She, he was going to get, you know, huffy and angry and the whole day would be ruined. Oh, yes. <laughs> and th this is so common. The driving thing is so common, I think, because we just feel so dependent and vulnerable when we're driving with someone. And uh, I can tell you a little bit more about how that went. But the, the basic principle is that if you look inside and follow it, you're going to be able to speak more clearly and with more connection and melt the heart of the person you're speaking to, which she did do when she finally spoke. He said, oh, I had no idea you felt that way. I'm really going to drive slower for you. Yeah. Which... Usually is not the response we get when we complain about somebody's driving. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I love that, that concept, the, the intensity being your own, um, because it, it gives you trailheads to find your exiles, to do your own work, to, to think about why is this intense part coming up in this relationship? And mm -hmm. Trailheads. That's right. I, and I think that's one reason that, uh, committed relationship is a path like like Gandival says after the romance fades and we start feeling other things it's really a path of I think really um, dependable growth and dependable feedback about where we need to go because it's so real because uh, you've got the person who's most important to you there reacting and bringing things up in you so It's going to be good trailheads. Lots of triggering. <laughs> yeah, especially in the exile relationships. The managerial relationships, they tend just to sort of ooze from one day to another without anything exciting until something happens that shakes people up. Do you have recommendations for couples that are in those managerial relationships where there's, there's more of that? that flatness and that if there's not that the big obvious trailheads um, how to work with that 
kind of disconnection. Yeah. I do. Uh, I recommend they look inside to the parts that guided them to that choice and, and listen to those parts. Like, why did you think this was the best relationship for me? What is it the way you see me, about the way you see me, that you think this is how I should live with safety but not excitement or closeness? Is it something about excitement or closeness that you think I can't handle? Or that it's going to be bad for some reason? Mona, you have been organizing couples workshops. Do you keep doing this? And can you share more on how does it work or how much fun or challenging they can become? I love doing the workshops. I have a great team of people and we, we make it very lively and we have small groups. So we have very little lecture and it, it's almost entirely people taking turns um, revealing as much as they want to reveal about their relationships and, and getting help. And they have the opportunity to have other people play their parts, mm-hmm. which often happens in the IFS trainings, yes. which can be so freeing. Uh, and then sometimes we even follow up the workshops with um, maybe monthly meetings where people can meet maybe five couples and just keep growing on the path. And what about the future, Mona? What's coming for you? Mm. Well, the future seems to be um, partly at least virtual, as we're all learning we can now do. Um, And for me, I prefer if I can to meet with couples in person at least a couple of times if possible, and then do the virtual. So for me, I want to just continue what I'm doing. The IFS training is also just wonderful to be able to be a trainer, teach this wonderful model that really just teaches itself. And also I'm an athlete, so I spend time, uh, I make sure I have enough time in the day to do my training about four hours a day. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. Mona, such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and for sitting with us and focus on our relational lives. It was a joy to be here with you and teacher, and we hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Annabelle. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Mona. It's wonderful to see you again and tap into your wisdom 